Welcome to another episode of Over Underrated with Fran and Babs. This is Babs, and she has just found out that someone in her house has tested positive for COVID. Yay! So I'm finding solace in the podcast today, and hope you do too. And thankfully today we're joined by a very interesting special guest, Adam Corner, who writes about climate change and music. Very interesting guy, and we get into some climate change and music chats right at the beginning. But he's not just here to talk about that. He's here to talk about Metallica as his overrated pick and Granddaddy as his underrated pick in the most flimsy link we've had to date, which is California Part 2. We hope you enjoy. I'll see you at the middle. See you at the end. Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Was it over-underrated? Over-underrated. Sous-évalué. Welcome to another episode of Over Underrated with Fran and Babs. Fran, you are looking very festive in your Zoom virtual background. How are you doing? Yes, I have the uh, the Northern Lights and some Christmas um, entertainment because my bedroom's rubbish, so I thought I'd give the some eye candy. Um, <laughs> um, I've had a I've had a, a fun uh, non-festive week. I should probably do some shopping soon. Yeah, same. I did an urgent bit of Christmas shopping today and that was it. And the rest of my family will have to wait. But we have someone else we can ask about their Christmas shopping on here today because we have a special guest, Adam Corner. Welcome, Adam, to the podcast. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done very much Christmas shopping either. And I haven't got any, I haven't got the Northern Lights as my background um, <sighs> or even or even like Marlboro Lights or anything like that. <laughs> Definitely festive some Marlboro Lights. But, uh, we usually we usually um, ask each other what we've been listening to. So, have you been listening to anything apart from the bands we're going to talk about today, Adam? Um, what have I been listening to? Well, I mean, it's like it's end of year, it's end of year lists, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, I've been plowing through lots of different um, magazines, end of year lists. The one I've got open on my on my on my on the tab at the moment is Dummy Dummy Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was listening to some from there, some from their room. So from their recommendations earlier on today, what did they have as number one? Little Sims. Fantastic. I, I know Adam in a professional context rather than a podcasting context. Not that, you know, obviously I'm not a professional podcaster. Adam writes and does research on climate communication and culture. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that, Adam, about like the the intersection of those and how you see kind of culture helping um people act on climate change or yeah what, what are you working on at the moment yeah sure so yeah we know each other from I guess it's like 10 10 or so years ago probably yep. isn't it doing doing a little bit of work together uh-huh. um on on climate change communication working on a report together and um that was when I that was for an organization called climate outreach that I used to used to work for until recently but I've I've this year gone gone freelance gone independent uh-huh. which has been which has been um, good and enjoyable so far, he says, after, good. after less than a year doing it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like what I've what I'm what I'm now focusing on work-wise is still sort of public engagement with climate change and working with different clients and partners, often charities, to to sort of support their work campaigning or doing, you know, trying to engage different audiences on climate change. Um, but the way that I've set up the the work that I'm doing myself now is, as you say, to sort of try and try and um, branch out a little bit, I guess, into the sort of cultural space broadly mm-hmm. as well, and think about how 
music in particular can can contribute to i suppose um catalyzing people's sort of concern or um engagement with with climate change you know what's the what's the soundtrack for our for our climate crisis um but also i guess from the industry side i'm just interested in how how the music in, music industry responds to to climate change as well so yeah i've always i've i've alongside alongside the climate work which we know each other through I've, mm. I've i've written about music for for quite quite some time um for various different places quite often for crack magazine mm. um you know doing some features doing some live reviews some album reviews and recently i've yeah i've been writing a bit about music and climate change together that's really good because i have not found a way to that diagram i think this conversation with you on this podcast is the closest that i've come to that uh when we're climbing when, in now <laughs> climbing in now climbing in <laughs> uh climbing in and loving it yeah when when I was talking to Fran about what you did we started talking about you know what what do we think about when we think about music and climate change and Fran I think you mentioned Coldplay you know Mm. touring conscientiously Mm -hmm. I thought of Radiohead and Massive Attack I have been besieged by Instagram adverts for No Music on a Dead Planet recently as well um but yeah as are those the kind of projects that you're working on or you know something else as well yeah, I mean, so so I guess like so far the 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 writing, the sort of more journalistic writing that I've done about the music climate intersection has been well initially sort of going uh, waving a flag and going uh, hello, is anyone <laughs> thinking about this stuff? Because it feels like we should be. Um, and then I guess more recently chronicling a little bit some of the progress that 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 has been made, and they're they're good examples. Um, yeah, and I think the music music declares emergency group. Uh, you know, are managing to create a bit of a buzz, and also just I think festival promoters, live promoters are thinking about, um, you know, not only what's on site and what they can do that's within their own control, but also like how do how do audiences travel to events, and how can they work with sort of you know all the the surrounding infrastructure around a big live event to make that make that more sustainable and more possible because in some ways it's the biggest it's the biggest um uncertainty i think in terms of carbon emissions is like how to how do the thousands of people that come to a big event get there is kind of actually you know outweighs how does the bands that are playing or the the djs that are playing get there although i did i did have a worked with them worked with a group called clean clean scene who who has a um a, a report out earlier in the year um called called last night a dj took a flight um which i liked <laughs> very um nice. and very nice. they'd worked out they'd done a good bit of they'd done some good data number crunching and they'd worked out um how the sort of top 100 djs on resident advisor where where they've been and where they've been playing according to their list of you know engagements and, and gigs and they, you know, the big, the big ones fly all over, all over the place every week in normal times. Fly, mm. you know, three or four times a weekend around Europe, or all over the world sometimes. And so, it's not about shaming people. Like it isn't about shaming anyone about anything. But there's a question in there, in there somewhere of like, hang on, is this definitely? Have we definitely got this right? Have we definitely set this up in the right way? Is there another way to go about this? I read. Um, I was going to say, I read an article. I saw a tweet today which said that. Is, I think it might be the University of Amsterdam has just mandated that if train travel takes less than six hours, they're not going to mm. reimburse a professional flight, which I thought was quite an interesting tactic of kind of getting getting around that personal choice and otherwise. Yeah, incentivizing yeah. it. I mean, I think like the French the French government's done something similar as well about like if there's a four hour radius or something. Um, you know, not, 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 I don't know. I think it wasn't about banning flights, but it was sort of mm. not incentivizing them basically. In the UK, 
um, like some of our biggest festivals like Glastonbury are dreadful because obviously you can't get there by train or bus. You basically have to drive. Is that one of the issues? Is that we need to have festivals that's in better situations for public transport? It's more straightforward to, to tackle that when you're not setting up a new a city in the middle of a mm. field that doesn't have a city's infrastructure for sure. Because if you're in a, a, a good contemporary city, it should already be doing a lot of these things which are helping with then whatever kind of event it is, you know, just, just decarbonizing um our our urban spaces and all the ways that we need to. Um, but I wonder whether I don't know, I think I mean there's a reason why I think it is it remains like a real challenge for, for festival promoters and for live event promoters is to deal with that aspect of things because it's kind of a bit bit beyond their control. But also I think it involves working with the, you know, whatever it would be, bus companies, train companies. I mean, yeah, you're right, Glastonbury's not not right next to a station. But I guess I guess it's just it's a kind of culture shift a bit, I suppose, about away from what we assume is the model of going to these to these live events where you take, you know like half of your house with you in a car versus I don't know what could be there already that people could use but without costing people loads of money I don't know some of the stuff is not easy but it, it it feels like it it feels like it kind of does have to does have to shift it's certainly a small thing but on the other hand I think it's a small thing in the big in the big scheme of things but I think that music and culture has this um has this outsized influence you know on on on, on other aspects of of, of our lives so it's kind of matters I think you know symbolically how people go about things in in that context I mean I don't know if if the UK does this and I, I mean I live in Belgium which is a much smaller and more densely populated country but Belgium is very good at a shuttle bus it's very good at you can, even if you've got something in a field in the middle of nowhere there will be shuttle buses taking you from the main station that are free and therefore you know you can it makes your life much easier so I, I've definitely been to festivals which it can be a bit annoying you know when you go to Verkta you have to basically walk for 40 minutes what doesn't matter if you're coming by car or bus or whatever you know it's it's a big venue but it definitely will impact on uh on the carbon footprint I think and yeah Fran I was going to ask you as someone who goes to festivals and gigs more more regularly do you think have you have you seen more language geared towards sustainability or, or not so much um, someone not working in the field yeah uh to be honest not the ones that i tend to go to um there are shuttle buses but then it, i guess it's convenient like the shuttle bus will be sometimes an hour after the last band and then mm. you've got to go on a slow bus ride another half an hour somewhere so i guess you know people may be put off by it in some ways mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean, I mean camp festival is what i go to that's nowhere near a train or bus um, so, I mean, I've always sadly driven, um, victorious is being dead centre of Portsmouth. I got a train to, so, you know, like, like Adam said, it's all down to where the festival is, you know, camp festival aren't going to suddenly be able to be in the centre of Bournemouth, you know, that's where they are. I, I doubt they can change their location. I don't know how, how easy it is for them to change their location, but at the moment, I haven't seen any public transport or any coaches or anything at all really. I guess, yeah, if, if you make it very difficult for you to access your car at the end of the evening, like that's the only, that's one way of doing it. But, uh, but listen, we're not, we're not here to try and solve all the problems. We're here to talk about Adam's picks today because the theme is California once again. So we've done a part one, this is part two. And Adam has picked a band that he thinks is overrated and a band that he thinks is underrated in that theme. So Adam, let's start with our overrated pick. Who are we talking about today? Overrated. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about a band called Metallica. Um, I'm, so- I'm sorry, who? I'm ne- never yeah, no, I don't know. You might not have heard of them, actually. They're, uh, quite, they're quite underground. Yeah. Fran, Fran, do you yeah. know them? Yeah. Um, I've heard like one or two songs, maybe. Yeah, one or two songs, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought like you know if you're gonna go if you're gonna if you're gonna participate in a conversation about about overrated and underrated why not sort of like just just aim sort of stupidly and overconfidently for the for the top <laughs> um <laughs> just to you know make a make a complete fool of yourself so um I don't I mean I I absolutely do not hate Metallica at all and I'm not I'm not here to to, to say they've got no merit and that would be ridiculous I guess I just don't is in a way, I'm I'm trying to tap into the the pure spirit of this, I think, and say like I just don't see why they're they're kind of on top of the pile in the way that they are, why they quite have that huge sort of um, status gap it feels um, between sort of them and and almost everyone else in their in their genre, mm-hmm. um, and I don't I guess you know I also don't want to pretend that I've um, listened. Um, hundreds of times to every every one of their many albums they've got a massive massive catalogue um but I mean I know I, I have I have I have been I've been doing some research for the purposes of this conversation and making sure that I wasn't missing anything crucial from the <laughs> early days Thank you. when it was a bit more like it was a bit more kind of thrash thrash metal and speed metal and it was all had a lot more energy I think a bit more vitality I, I maybe we can kind of come to this but there's various points that I feel like I've intersected with with their music in my life and definitely at all of those points I didn't feel like it had much um much much vitality or when you but somehow they just seem there's a lot of po-faced seriousness going on um and it feels like I don't know to me metal is sort of inherently kind of a bit daft and a bit over the top and a bit fun and it's somehow if you don't have that I'm not I'm not I'm not so convinced and I yeah, I did. I did like. I, I I used to read the very first magazine I used to read was Metal Hammer when I was when mm-hmm. I was a kid, mm-hmm. and so this is like early nineties basically, and so I sort of had a chance to to like them, but I didn't. I got into grunge, not not metal. There we go. Good introduction. So, Fran, what's your relationship with Metallica? So yeah, I mean, I was the uh, in the early nineties. I remember MTV, obviously having Enter Sandman. Um, on constantly and that's the first thing I remember like I don't know any of the songs from the 80s and I think weren't they quite proud of not having singles for a long time or, or having music videos like I think I, I think the Black Album was like where they first went mainstream actually having music videos and that's when I first discovered them yeah and, and I believe that's their more you know radio friendly sound like yeah like Adam said they were a yeah. thrash metal band like, like with like Slayer and Anthrax which isn't really my scene so I, I doubt I'd ever yeah. listen to the early music um and then yeah I just you know occasionally they would appear with a new video um sometimes terrible sometimes listenable and then I watched you know some kind of monster and enjoyed that car crash and um yeah I probably have not heard anything in the past 20 years of merit wow. I was going to ask about some kind of monster because it's one of those documentaries that everyone talks about as a seminal documentary. I've 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 not watched it. I think in part just because I'm not that big a Metallica fan. But does it matter? Do you have to be a Metallica fan to like it? No, it's it's enjoyable. Oh no, I, I've always wanted to meet a hardcore Metallica fan to ask them how they feel about it. Because if that was my favorite band, it would be heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, it's it's really cringeworthy. And like they keep cutting to the basis and you know, and, and he's like gone like, you know, down an indie direction and how happy he seems to be out of Metallica. And they seem quite jealous that he's not in Metallica. Like right. he's he's now cooler than they are. So yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. I, I definitely give it a watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my my relationship with Metallica is a mostly indifferent one, although it did um speaking about Vector solidify into hatred for a little bit because I think I've talked about this before, but I need to talk about this again when talking about Metallica. I went to Vector in 2006 and Faithless were the headliners at like midnight. But before that, Metallica played a two and a half hour set. And it was the fourth day of the festival. And the dynamic of having Metallica, they're completely changed because suddenly you had all these metalheads with Metallica t-shirts and you're like, what's what's going on here? And I think because there was nothing else on, me and my friend Lisa Lotta basically had to sit through Metallica. <laughs> and just my memory of it is they were on this incredibly high stage. So it was like they were so far away from the audience, like they were gods, but I didn't believe it at all. And it was just guitar solo, guitar solo, guitar solo. With nothing else and I was just like can we please just end this and get to Faithless so I think yeah apart from Enter Sandman and another song that Adam's picked I really didn't know anything and that that experience for me just made me be like this this is not for me I'm not so much into metal and and you know I've now watched them live tried to have an open mind at the beginning but it, it didn't work but I have to say I, I I came into this being like you know maybe um Maybe Adam's going to change my mind. And I wanted to ask Adam because the songs that you picked are from basically two of their albums from the 90s. So you said that you intersected with them at different times, but were the 90s a particularly fraught time for you? Is that why you picked these songs or did you pick these songs because they were the best one? And what, what was your process? No, it was more It was more trying to find like some points where I'd, I felt like I'd, yeah, interacted with, 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 with the music or there'd been, there'd been a sort of, an, an awareness of what they were doing and I guess like yeah because they've got they've got like a huge they've got a huge back catalogue and, and I think I you know and if you want to if you want to come in all all, uh, all all confident saying yeah this band's not 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 all that that everyone makes them out to be I feel like you should at least try to listen to most of their material before you definitely say that mm-hmm. um and we and definitely I, do and that I kind of know that, yeah yeah of course of course that's your of course that's that's the, that's the starting point for all these conversations but I well I, I I diligently listened through like all the early stuff which in a way I kind mm. of knew that I probably I do like more because it is just a bit more raucous and actually I if I mean I'm not a huge huge metal fan at all but I did I did used to listen to a bit of stuff like Slayer and Megadeth and all those kinds of bands at the beginning around at the same kind of time and like I don't know it's sort of it's probably it probably um got got it moves into more like Queens of the Stone Age and sort of like Nine Inch Nails kind of bands after that and you know whatever comes after that I guess like really most of the stuff that I've listened to in the last 15 years is more electronic and and dance music really than bands anyway but Mm. yeah I just I just feel like they've got this kind of somehow they've achieved this sort of status that is it's like oh they sort of took metal out of its embarrassing stage and Mm. into some more like taking it seriously stage it's like hang on did they or is it worse because like it seems like there's a lot of sub spinal tap stuff going on about taking themselves too seriously and like they did you know they were definitely like if you think of bands with orchestras disasters like I feel like that's the association in my mind is the sort of like let's put a load of strings on top of it it's Metallica and they also didn't I mean didn't they why well, they did kind of look up but I remember I remember that they they sort of they, they were one of the bands that, like sued Napster when Napster yeah. was sort of yeah and I'm not I 
I know there's loads in that. It's not like, oh, yeah, let everyone have music for free. Yeah, but that like, really backfired. They, they, they really got ridiculed for that uh, eventually, yeah. yeah. Um, but somehow, I don't know. Like, I think there is, on the one hand, there's a lot of ridicule and a lot of people that are willing to just sort of um, laugh, really, a bit, at the sort of taking themselves too seriously aspect of them. But also, they, they, do, they really, really are, like enormous and massive in terms of numbers and in terms mm. of the impact that you still uh, if you read recent which I again did for, for this conversation like recent relatively recent sort of takes on like who are the most important bands in metal it's like they just get a, a total seemingly like a free pass on this stuff so yeah I think the fact they're called Metallica as well which makes it sound like the essence of metal doesn't help actually you know, on numbers, Adam, I always like to look at Spotify listeners. So they have 17.3 million monthly listeners. And I think one thing that's always really intrigued me, and maybe you can answer this, Fran, or maybe Adam as well, is the fact, why is Lars Ulrich so well known? I feel like I know Lars Ulrich more than James Hetfield. I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten, mm. and, and, he, and he's the vocalist. Is that, is that part of the draw that it's this real kind of like team of these two guys who met ages ago mm-hmm. and... And, and got together, is, is the mythology kind of, yeah, continuing that? I guess, I guess he's the most charismatic member, isn't he? Like, he's mm-hmm. always the one who's happy to be out there. He's, he's, he's the mouthpiece. It also, like, I think him and James wrote all the songs. Like, I, when I mm-hmm. looking at this research, I was surprised that it's always those two. Like, even, like, Kurt doesn't even um, write some of the bigger songs. That's what I would have thought, yeah. Yeah, you, th- yeah, you, you think both guitars would be the main songwriter, not, not the drummer. Mm-hmm. But he seems to be, you know, a massive songwriter. I think it's worth, like... 300 million which is wow. insane and wow. yeah i think he's yeah he earns more than like roger taylor i think he's most richest drummer in the world mm. there you go wow well he's he's so so yeah like i think there's this the dynamic is that he's sort of like aggressively aggressively sort of ambitious mm. and you know pushed everything forwards um and was really really sort of co-leading from the from the back of the stage from the back of the band in a way that doesn't happen very often mm. which i think is kind of is interesting yeah. Um, I, yeah, and I and I guess I guess like with with a band like you know they're, le- they're a legacy band now very much so, um, and I I don't know you know those figures those Spotify figures I guess are not that like exceptional in the context of sort of contemporary acts, but I I reckon the fact they're routinely getting that number of listeners now, the fact that they've got their discography is, you know, was back when everyone bought hundreds of thousands of albums, yeah. um, you know, they were, they were up there, weren't they? With in, in that, in that kind of um, golden slash um, overcooked era <laughs> of eighties, nineties album sales. Um, oh, so yes. yeah. And I've got, there's a, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a little, there's a little twist to this as well that we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that bit. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well then do you want to take us through your first pick, Adam? What's the first song that you've chosen on the overrated list? Fuel. That's, um, that's the first song. I sort of chose it cause actually I quite like it. I think it's got a good, a good it's kind of got it has it seems a bit more a bit more it's got that kind of fun energy it's not as heavy as that early stuff but it's from the period that I was conscious of and had until recently for this conversation had some like current opinion about um (laughs) and it's kind of like yeah it's got that sort of energy from their early days I think maybe not massively representative but also it's got that sort of syncopated like um sort of chili peppers funk sort of rhythm to it as well that I think somehow works quite well and I and I and I, I, I quite enjoyed it um so yeah in reviewing in reviewing the trying to give a fair appraisal I actually thought this was this was quite a good one 
Yeah, I love this. I would have not thought this was Metallica at all. And I think I hadn't realized that they'd started as thrash metal. I think because I only know them all radio friendly songs, I was like, oh, if it was a bit more like this, I would definitely get more on board. And it was more minimalist than I expected. As you said, you know, Metallica expect kind of bombast and strings, but this is just vocals, drums, bass, guitar. And give me fuel, give me fire, give me that, which I desire. It's it's really catchy. So, okay, good good to hear that you agree. But Fran, do, do you? No. Uh, <laughs> this is what good. I would call macho metal. I just hate the way he sings. It's too, oh, it's it's too like, I am in Metallica. Come on, give me fire, give me fuel. Give me another guitar solo. We need five. Come on, guys. And that's what instantly puts me off. Like, I like Guns oh, N' Roses funny. because at the same time in 1992, you've got Guns N' Roses and Metallica were the two biggest like rock bands uh, on MTV and FV. And Guns N' Roses seemed to have a good time. I, I I wanted to be in Guns N' Roses. I never wanted to be in Metallica. That's the way I see it. I, yeah, I, I don't like this. I, lyrically, it's like he's, he's, he's written down petrol and seeing any word he can get. Like petrol, gas. Fire, like power. Oh, but I've got another one. It's like, oh dear, dear. No. I think it's very of its time, you know, like, well, actually, in a way, after its time, because I knew that one album was from 97, one album was from 91. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I presume this one is from the 91 album. And then I was like, oh no, okay, this is mm, this is 97. Later. So so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's very funny. I think I, I do get what you mean about macho metal, but it didn't it didn't bother me here. I think just because I found because the opening line was so catchy, I was like, "All right, James, you've got me, you've got me on this one." But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fair point about like macho, the macho aesthetics of the song. I mean, completely, totally. I wonder, I wonder how different that it actually is. To I mean, I did also totally agree on the fun, the more fun point in Guns N' Roses. But I reckon if we're going to go down the like toxic masculinity route, I reckon Axl Rose has got some has got some questions to answer here as well for sure. I mean, this is the getting the getting the ring guy. Like, what was that song all about? It was like a long breakdown of a song, mental breakdown of a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a, Axel Rose was a, a very bizarre man during his time. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I really, Guns N' Roses, we, I think we need to do them in a future episode because I was never into them. And I, I do feel like they're the kind of band that, they have unusual fans. Like it isn't just people who are into metal or rock, you know, no, at no. all. And I'm like, but why? I don't get it because I always, I just see Axl Rose being a maniac and, and, you know, the misty wind of the November rain video and just what the hell's going on. Like, I, I, I don't get it. So yeah. I think they're more of a cartoon band because yeah. the, the way that Slash looked, the way they mm. had nicknames, but yeah, I guess, you know, they were more of a cartoon like uh, pantomime band like Met- camp almost yeah. metallica yeah. Like, you know they, yeah. yeah we we mean it we wear black we are metallica right fear okay. us you know yeah like, like adam said they don't seem to have any Serious. sort of sense of humor at all about, about mm. them as if you can't have um, well and i think the next pick really demonstrates that <laughs> this is the one isn't it this is, yeah. this is the no sense of humor oh yeah <laughs> so yeah what's what's your second song adam right the unforgiven um which is a turgid, plodding run-through of absolutely overcooked uh, sort of like non, non-sentiment, as far as I can tell, and goes on forever, as does End Sandman. Um, but the, the Unforgiven, I, so I used, to play, I used to play in a band when I was a kid um, and sort of did it like, I mean, not that 
you know we weren't we weren't international international superstars but we did it quite seriously for quite a while like you know played in our sort of area and played in pubs every weekend and did gigs and you nice. know wherever um but from really young like sort of like 10 or 11 um we started wow. playing and then got started to get gigs you know after that and then played all through our teens until we were like 17 or 18 so it all happened weirdly weirdly young um and we we did a couple of things this wasn't mostly what we were doing, but we did a couple of things that were basically like battle, battle of the bands sort of competitions that were being run in various places. And there was a band called The Unforgiven, um, who were a Metallica covers band and, you know, full grown, full grown adults. And um, we we beat them and won the battle of the bands competition. And they were, they seemed to have also absorbed Metallica's like sort of, taking themselves seriously po-faced um oh. vibe as well so it was just the funniest thing and obviously we just like rinse them <laughs> amongst ourselves and it was it, that kept us going for anecdotes for like years afterwards <laughs> sounds like real life school of rock that you did that's incredible <laughs> did they uh, retire after that concert <laughs> yeah, no, exactly <laughs> so I didn't I didn't know this song either and when I when it started I was like oh is this are they trying to make this their battle of evermore and I was like oh I think they are and I think they failed quite miserably because it's I think it wants to be a power ballad but it's not a power power ballad it's got rock elements the the James Hetfield's voice he goes never may ah, a lot and I'm like it's like Justin Timberlake you know when he says it's going to be may that, that's all it made me think of as well which I'm sure that's not what James Hetfield wants and I didn't watch the video but I read the description of what the video is and that was enough for me to to assign this to the bin basically yeah, I put down. Is this their version of Blaze of Glory? It's like <laughs> it's like their Western theme tune, but yeah. this this time yeah. I, I I choose Bon Jovi over Metallica. Me, me too. Me too. This is actually a trilogy. They've got three Unforgivens. Um, yeah, they get worse. Have oh, God. And 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 as Bab said, yeah, like if I ever have to do like a bloke impression, that is basically his voice, mm. like. Why I am a guy. Hi. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but I will say that. He does have a more melodic vo- version. Like I think there's a second section of the song, and he he sounds pretty decent. Like he can sing in a more mono- melodic way. So I don't know why he has to rely on that. But um, as a bassist, I couldn't couldn't hear any bass at all in this track. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't paying attention. I I was just too busy going, "This is awful," and then it's looking at the racka, lyrics. Racka, racka, racka guitar and no, and no bass. A double track, double tracked kind of like yeah. chorus guitars. I just... Because I think I did. I read about it. The one or the other one where it was like, oh, you know, we're kind of consciously trying to do kind of something a bit slower. And I'm like, I don't know. You can tell, like, it. It's one of those. It doesn't feel since it doesn't feel like it comes from that. Like one of your later picks. I'm like, yeah, I, I can believe in that. I do not believe in this at all. And yeah, definitely. So far, it's like if I had to pick a parody Metallica song, this would be it. <laughs> but the next one, I think, maybe a bit more nuanced discussion. I don't know. What's your third pick, Adam? <laughs> actually no no nuance for me on this <laughs> i just like it's obviously one of their like absolutely biggest hits i think it's really boring it's really famous um the riff is so famous but i just can't get into it or enjoy it after more than about 15 seconds but there's loads more than 15 seconds to this song which always disappoints me whenever i hear it and i kind of go out and make a cup of tea come back in and then, oh right okay come on then still go in so for me Actually, this is just this is just the sort of epicenter of the so boring, so boring. I think it doesn't have any doesn't have any 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 life to it from from what I can see. 
but at least it doesn't have castanets in it, which I think um, mm-hmm. the Unforgiven does. <laughs> Fran? Yeah, I, I have nothing really bad to say about Enter Sandman. It's just one of those classic songs that exists, and you, know, you go, oh, yeah, that's the Enter Sandman, that's the riff I know. And then, you know, I, I probably turn over because I, I probably heard it a billion times. I'll never get out of my way to listen to this song. It just exists. Um, I, I hate it. I think the riff, you know, the guitar riff is pretty decent. It's got a, a, a decent chorus. See, this is the thing. Like, I actually really like this song, mm. um, but I don't think I've been hit over the head with it as much as maybe you have, uh, the both of you have, because Fran, you mentioned that it was on MTV all, oh, the, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, all the time. I, I think I'm, because I'm younger, I, I didn't, Past that, so it, yeah, it definitely is a song where it, like I agree that oh yeah, it's into Sandman, but I I really like it. I like the way it builds. I like the riff. His voice doesn't annoy me uh, here, and the guitar solo doesn't annoy me, especially because like the the guitar solo is going on, the instruments are kind of supporting it, and then it leads into that praying section, which I think is quite original. So if it, it feels like a story in a way that many other Metallica songs don't. And the fact that it's about children's nightmares, I actually think it's it's quite an original topic. So this this album became massive, right? So is there some Metallica fans who hate Metallica from this moment onwards? Because I guess this, to me, this isn't metal. This is more rock. Mm. I, I wonder yeah. if there's a, a divide in like Metallica 80s fans to Metallica 90s fans. Like, I wonder if, if many like left them behind. Like, you know how, you know, I guess some people don't like YouTube from the 90s, 90s onwards. Some people, you know, don't like Simple Minds from 1985 onwards. I wonder if this made a massive divide between, you know, the hardcore Metallica fans and the, the ones who listening into the radio songs. I think it would surprise me if it didn't, right? Because... I mean, but the thing is, I don't really know what later Metallica sounds like. What, what does post-90s Metallica sound like? M- much for sameness or, or Well, I've, I've heard, like, Sent Anger, because that's what the documentary is about, mm-hmm. and that's just pretty stuff down. It's not thrash metal. It's, it's, I, think, I think the albums we talk about, Load and Reload, I think that seems to be as heavy as they get going mm. forward. Yeah, they don't, I don't think it's ever gone back to the original the original days, which are kind of punk. I mean, it's not, it's not punk, but it's got that, like, it's punkier energy, it's thrashy. I'm intrigued now by the, like, the, the Simple Minds camps, which I mm. feel like I have no, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, like, <laughs> who's going to win this fight? Simple, mind, simple Minds or Simpler Minds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's good people on both sides of that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I can agree with you on, yeah, it is, it is very overplayed. And I, I think with, it goes back to what Adam says of like, yes, it's a catchy rock song, but there are other catchy rock songs. So why, why did this one break through? Why did this one permeate over many others? I don't know. Was it the music video? I remembered it. Like, I haven't seen it in god knows how long but i was like yeah it's the one with the children in the bed and i was like yeah that's that's exactly it so is it the whole package that made them appealing i don't know i don't know but what i think perhaps didn't make them so appealing is uh your next pick adam and i just i mean part of me wants to say that it's it's like a weird genius kind of song like or the or the marianne faithful bit is a weird genius kind of thing i can't quite work out whether i really like hearing it or whether i can't stand hearing it but it's just like this kind of ghostly coda that comes into the song every now and again and at the end but I mean it's not no I think I'm I'm settling on it's not I no it's it's not it's not good 
So this is The Memory Remains, which I didn't know before. And when I saw it had Marianne Faithful, I was like, oh, that's an intriguing mm. person. And I wonder what she's going to do here. And the answer is not very much, apart from some creepy la-da-da. Gurgle. <laughs> gurgle. Like she's and... like unconscious. <laughs> she's like a like a bizarre ghost, bizarre older ghost. And like you, so I had to listen to this a couple of times to figure out what I thought about it. Yeah, I, I I think I enjoy it. I think I enjoy it, but I'm still not 100% sure. I quite like the the kind of fake ending as well that happens where you think it's over and it's not. And nope, lo, she comes back. And when you look at the lyrics and you see that it's about a fading prima donna, and then you have, you know, Marianne Faithful in the 90s, I was like, oh, that's that's quite brave. <laughs> quite brave of her to come, to come on and do that. So I think that kind of elevated my at least respect for her and respect for the song. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't hate it as much as uh, as Unforgiven, but I don't I don't know. I, I what is this? I, I don't know. Fran, what is this? <laughs> Any ideas? Yeah, I've always baffled like how Metallica and Marianne Faithful were ever linked. Like how did they discover it? So it doesn't seem to be in the same at all, in the same stratosphere. Mm. And what what was the conversation? Hi Marianne, we're so happy <laughs> to see you. We love you. But can you not actually sing? Just want, want it to do sound like some weird mm-hmm sound. Yeah, it? can you just can you yeah. just be like Zombie Marianne Faithful. <laughs> oh, okay. Like Bab said, it's not all terrible. I like I like the buzzing guitars. Um, it's got some decent elements, but it's it's a baffling track. And then it has some sort of range rolled guitar near the end that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Just honestly, the, the flashbacks, yeah. the fact that every single bloody song needs a guitar solo. I'm like, guys, <laughs> guys, you don't need this. Like, you don't need this every single time. And yeah, here, here I don't think it does anything. There's a bit in some kind of monster when they literally spend ages discussing whether songs need guitar solos or not anymore. Oh, I, I need to I need to watch this documentary <laughs> because the thing is, okay, I do I do think that people being like, oh, metal's only you know guitar solos is a bit reductive. But at the yeah, same time, totally. <laughs> at the same time, when you listen to a playlist like this, you're like, do you know what? I think when when it feels like it's hammered in, you know, we we did an episode, Adam, on Skid Row versus Bon Jovi, and with Skid Row, mm-hmm. it's like definitely there are songs with good guitar solos and, and songs without but they don't it, it's just it's always in the middle it's like there's a verse there's a chorus there's a guitar solo there's an ending and so that's so predictable you know there's there's other ways of doing this it's interesting because i i honestly i guess like thought that there was going to be a bit more um of a of a battle to be to be won about sort of <laughs> criticizing Metallica because I, I feels like it feels like although although obviously it's easy to laugh and poke fun and sort of see all, see all the things that are a bit ridiculous about them they're also the impression you always get is like oh no no they're they're a good one they're a solid one but um I don't know, maybe not maybe we're all just I think with us just tricking each other I think me and metal I quite like sort of sludge metal stoner metal you know slow heavy guitars mm, but slow do me stuff yeah, yeah, do me stuff. You know, I don't mind a bit of beggar death every now and again. And I think there's probably more in that world that I'm willing to explore. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think your, your playlist, you know, we're, we're, we're finishing it soon. It did, it has changed my opinion, perhaps a little bit of Metallica. And I think I hadn't, because I thought they were this big rock band, I'd never considered their lyrics. But actually, so far, you know, the songs, they've, they've all been on completely different themes and they're not just about like, being angry or I love that woman or I hate that woman that that's good I think that's that's interesting that at least they're trying to come at it from a different angle but I think without knowing their their full studio albums I, I yeah that was my impression and you know we only have five tracks to change my mind and you, you maybe have a bit but 
not enough. But Fran, I think you've listened probably to more Metallica. It, it doesn't seem to have changed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think either. the two Metallica songs I actually like the best are probably the least Metallica songs out there. So there's Hero of a Day, which I think is on load, which mm-hmm. again is kind of a, you know, a, non, a completely non-metal track with some, mm-hmm. with some really, really beautiful arpeggio guitar on it and, and great bands. I think the song for Mission Impossible 2, I Disappear, was... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was... Nearly that, for that on. Yeah, yeah I, I, that, I, at that time... Working in the cinema, I heard it a lot, and I I quite liked it. So there you go. So, but I don't think there are two songs that most Metallica fans would ever say were in a top twenty singles. So, and speaking of standard Metallica, so what's your final track from the playlist, Adam? So, okay, so this is time for a little, a little twist and a little sort of like diversion into not that we're not talk, not that we're not having a serious conversation, but like a little bit more very serious, serious conversation. Yeah. Um, very serious, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I've I've actually been to see Metallica at Wembley um, in two thousand sometime, and actually met James Hetfield backstage. What, what a bomb to drop at the end there, Adam! Love I know. it. Love it. What a twist. Just the back, the backstage, the backstage um, meeting bomb to drop at the end. Um, so basically, my um my 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 ex-partner, my partner at the time, um, was um a, a, a carer for her younger brother, who was called Frankie, and he had muscular dystrophy, which is a terminal illness. And um, yeah, he sadly died young when he was 19 and, and loved him very much just as a long time ago now, like 10 years ago or something. But we used to do, he loved he loved Metallica. So I actually had a bit of a, like, I felt quite uneasy about, like, saying they were overrated because, like, I just felt like I was doing him wrong. But also felt like I was just going to give it a fair hearing and be like, these are the songs that I like and these are the ones that I don't like as much. He, he really loved the song um, and he, he he loved the band as well. Um, and, and, I, and I felt like actually, like, he did... He did sort of show me real point. He did actually show me like how much how much people are impacted by their music. So although mm-hmm. I don't get it and I don't particularly rate it, like I really could see like through his eyes, it was he just like loved all this stuff. And I think nothing else matters is it definitely is like a, a step above the unforgiven stuff. You know, like I feel like I feel like it's a bit more of a considered song. Um, yeah, and so although I so although I don't I I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I it didn't it didn't persuade me even though I had ample chance again to get into them um mm-hmm. with through 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 all my time with Frankie enjoying them. Um, you know, if it's if it's if it was good enough for him, it's it, it they're they're they they are good enough for me ultimately. So I thought I'd end on a yeah, a, oh, a, a twist, a, a twist. serious twist. Brilliant, bringing storytelling to our podcast in a way that we haven't done. So thank you, Adam. But how how <laughs> how, how was it? I mean, because I mean some Someone like Wembley, I'm guessing not too dissimilar, not too dissimilar to my experience. Where okay, I was at a festival, but I really felt like I was surrounded by hardcore Metallica fans, and I still didn't quite get oh, it. Yeah. Did you? Did you at least pick up on something? Mean, if you got to meet them afterwards, well, you know, did you pick up on something? Was there? Yeah, I mean, like, well, I, 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 all I could. This is the weird thing. It's like interestingly, I still didn't get it like firsthand. I was like, I this is when I definitely should get it if I'm going to get it and I'm not getting it. So I felt comfortable with my conclusion that I wasn't into it. Yeah, I, I, I really like Nothing Else Matters. I said this is their actual Battle of Evermore. And I think it's one of those songs that I don't know that well. So when I think about it, all I think about is him going, nothing else matters. But this, it, it, it's a proper epic. It does tug at the heartstrings a little bit. I think so. There's some nice harmonies. And I couldn't even get annoyed at the acoustic little solo. It's because it's not, 
it's not even really a solo it's just some some acoustic guitar picking so yeah I, I did I did enjoy this song and it was a nice way to end Fran <laughs> yeah no I've always been a fan of this song what is interesting is that um James was going to do this for himself it wasn't even going to be a Metallica song he was play, playing it on tour and uh, Ulrich uh, heard him and said oh, what's that and then he made him put that on the album. So, you know, oh, I guess right. I guess at a time he wouldn't have thought this would have fitted Metallica to be fair. Mm. But yeah, no, I've always I've always loved it. Um also I think um um Kirk isn't actually on, on the song either. It's just James playing the playing the song. Um but I love the strings. I like Michael Kamen. And yeah, I, I've well, this was a track that I would always go to if I ever ever have to listen to Metallica. It would always be this one. I don't know if, that, if that's you know going to annoy the metal fans that I like the power ballads <laughs> but yeah it's true but it's I a good song I mean I don't know what the metal to power ballad ratio is for Metallica but surely if you're a Metallica fan you've got to like a power ballad too do, do like Slayer and Anthrax did, did they ever do a song like this were they ever influenced by Metallica to go in that direction or was it like no nope. <laughs> from what from what I can this is all a little bit like shallow skimming of like what, what I was reading but I think I think I think from what I can tell that actually part of the case for why Metallica are the sort of king king of all like metal bands is because they did do this huge spread and range and they've done like the really heavy stuff but they also managed to achieve this commercial success but they haven't like completely lost touch with their roots if you're going to take the sort of mm. pro pro metallica take on it um so i think i i think going back to that like other big fights between the types of fans as far as i can tell people people think this is a like a quality you know that they've they've been able to spread out and do that so there you go okay so fran asking the question do you think Metallica overrated? It's unfair to ask me because I think that if I was a proper metal fan and loved their 80s albums, then maybe I'd, you know. So to me, Metallica is once they change direction and the 90s Metallica. And I probably, yeah, I probably like half a dozen songs from the 90s. So they're not terrible. Um, you know, they're not Bon Jovi level in, in the 90s but I wouldn't go and rush out and buy an album by Metallica, you know. I, I, I would, I'd be interested to see it in life. I think I think I would enjoy the, the spectacle of seeing Metallica. But, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say... Uh, just underneath the, the overrated category, how's that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm still going to say that they're overrated because mm-hmm. it definitely, Adam, your, your playlist made me reconsider because it was, it was a bit more varied than I thought it would be. And, you know... I thought Fuel was such an interesting part of Metallica that I didn't really know about, you know, you know, Rage Against the Machine, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Metallica is much, much more my scene. But really, that I felt so cold watching them live. It really, the spectacle was nothing for me. You know, the, I, I felt like the staging, staging was trying to make up for, for I was going to say lack of talent, which is quite harsh. You know, it, it, it's, it's not exactly that, but I, I, I didn't feel the soul in, in Metallica and while I will definitely reconsider that they have more soul and have more more sides to them I think when you go and watch a band live if they're good musicians and you don't feel very much I, I think there's you know unless I really go and sit down and maybe that's what I need maybe I need, I need to do uh, a Chris so one of our guests Adam he listened to all of Primal Scream's albums in a row to, to make his list maybe that's what I need to do and reconsider but I think until until I do that for me they're, they're still overrated. And Adam, I, I imagine that, you know, despite your experiences, you'll you'll remain the same as well. 
yeah, I'm staying. I'm staying in the overrated category, definitely. And I don't. And I don't envy anyone listening to promo screens up more than wherever they would. They would definitely give me one of my choices. But well, already. I think I, I do recommend listening to the episode because that was that was uh, that was a sort of opinion changing episode as well. But I guess we should mention that Metallica. You've got to give them kudos because they've been for a lot. They've had you know members. The best friend had to be stacked. Obviously, uh, Dave Mustang. Then they lost the bassist to a car crash. They've had other bassists come and gone. They've gone through addictions and all sorts of trauma, and they are still going. So you're, I guess you have to give them you know that as a as a positive for the band. And as Adam said, they have a lot of fans for whom it clearly means mm. a lot. But but still, mm. yeah, still there's there's an essence missing for me that I just yeah I'm just I'm missing the Metallica gene. What can I say? Let's close the chapter of Metallica. It's an S Pod thing, the podcast revisiting S Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge watched this. Anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests help me analyze the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase "sex object" in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think? Do you think this is one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S Pod thing from Great Big Owl. So God's metal eh yeah i i'm still not totally convinced by metallica even though they have a few songs they are they are so big but to be fair i haven't seen some kind of monster yet uh and given that i'm now stuck at home because of covid i probably will do (laughs) so there's some positive there we're now going to get into adam's underrated pick granddaddy uh who is a very interesting guy slash band we hope you think so too Underrated. So, Adam, who have you picked as your underrated act today? Okay, so underrated act, I am um, I am proposing um, Grandaddy, uh, who I guess in contrast to Metallica, if we're if we're sort of talking about their their bombast and their their sort of. Um, ostentatious like um appearance and reputation and um sort of very 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 take taking themselves seriously and expecting to to have the the limelight granddaddy are super like unassuming i think and um and i think for that partly for that reason they've just flown a bit under the radar um i'm definitely like in a, in same as with metallica definitely not not here to sort of say they've got no no merit no value and not necessarily here at all to say granddaddy my favorite band or like the best band but I, I i just think they've got enough about them and especially when you get into the get into some of the the, the, the less well-known stuff although not all of it they just got like a, some, something that i don't think any other bands quite has quite has got like a weird aesthetic and um sort of DIY, really rough edged, raggedy, but like somehow anthemic and anti-anthemic at the same time. And so I'm I'm 39. And when I remember hearing Granddaddy first on the John Peel show, late quite late, fairly late at night, um on a scratchy old, you know, hardly in tune radio, trying to listen really quietly when I was supposed to be asleep, basically. Um, and hearing one song in particular was the first one I want to talk about, um, AM180. But yeah, hearing that song and then I didn't know what it was called or what the band was called. I was just like, what is this song? But I don't know how to find it. I mean, how 
how how did you find the song if you heard it and you didn't have any details about it so I kind of hummed it heard it again I think I heard the title and eventually years later found it in a in a record shop in in Bristol and was you know had a glorious sense of satisfaction um so I'm key I've got I've got a lot of fond memories of them I think they're really unassuming underrated in that pure sense of like they're not the best but I just think they don't get a good a fair enough hearing for their qualities that they do have Ah, yes. The youth of today will not know, you know, that feeling of, yeah, having to go into a record shop and hum something and, and see if they've got it. That's, yeah, that's that's another story. And uh, working, uh, sorry, if you're into the bingo, and working in a record store, we laugh nothing more than people singing to us because we all pretend we've ne- we have no idea what you mean. And we have to get all the members of staff to listen to it first before we can decide on what the song is. Yeah, and I used to, I used, I used to work in a in a in a dance music record shop mm. in Cardiff, and that was even more fun because there's no often no words to sing at all. So people would come in looking for some new drum and bass tune and be like, "Ah, oh, you know the one that goes." You're like, "Well, no." Do you want to listen to this? I remember also. What year did um? Am one eighty. Yeah, that'd be it. That'd be it. Um, I think I was at college and I remember like that was a one finger cool song to play when I was like, what, like 19 or 18 years old. I remember Granddaddy for like three songs and two of those are on your playlist. I won't mention those, but the other one was called mm-hmm. Crystal Lake seemed to be uh, mm-hmm. always on the indie, yeah, indie disco on people's mixed CDs. And uh, yeah. yeah, and Granddaddy were kind of, kind of a, an oddball band in a way that I never knew who they were. Um, I probably learned more about Granddaddy with researching this podcast than ever before. I don't remember them ever being interviewed or having like a face with us with this band who would always have like a quirky keyboard sound and like kind of like you know grungy guitar sometimes. And um, and so to me, they were that that band who had those three those three songs, and then suddenly they've been just vanished out of nowhere. So Granddaddy for me, one of those bands, a bit like Steely Dan, where it's a name that I hear but I have absolutely no idea what it sounds like and. Coming into this, if I'd had to guess what kind of music it was, maybe it's because we've recorded a lot of podcasts about this or maybe it's the name, I don't know, but I would have said Heartland Rock Americana. And I was deeply pleasantly surprised to find out that it wasn't. Um, and yeah, I didn't do too much research because I, I think I wanted to be guided by by the music and, and hear you guys talk about it. But I was really surprised when it on Wikipedia it said that they were initially influenced by suicidal tendencies and bad brains because... I'm, I can't really hear it, but um, I think what you say, Fran, about the the keyboards and the grungy guitars is really interesting. And yeah, it it, it was a very interesting playlist and, and and band. And yeah, clearly I'm just not as cool as you guys. You know, listening to playing keyboard in the corner and going to the indie disco because yeah, completely passed me by. You, you were doing what thirteen, maybe? So yeah, yeah, yeah. You were into five. Uh, well, ninety-seven. I was ten. So yeah, very much into, into, <laughs> yeah, into, into five. That seems way too early. I swear they were like. Maybe it took a while for it to sort of catch on. I reckon it's about mm. ninety-nine when I first discovered that that song. But I wonder if, if it took a while for it sort of like get popular because I swear I was like yeah, about yeah in like nineteen ninety-nine. That's maybe. it. That 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 happened in the mm. past, didn't it? Where especially if something wasn't yeah. from from the UK, you know, like. Yeah, you, you. It was reliant on people having the records and playing it on the radio. So, yeah. yeah, and and this is, I think, this is this is the this is the kind of John Peel anecdote. It just jumped out at me in the in the dark, you know, in this in this quiet little room, pretending not to have the radio on, and it was like, what is that? 
But then because it wasn't big and it wasn't everywhere and it probably was about the same time the album came out because he would have been on it straight away. It's like, where, where is this? Like, it's just something I've heard on the radio, but I had no way of finding out what it is. And it's just, that's just the strongest memory that I've got of trying to track down a song that I loved. But, um, you know, it later, it later was, it was, it was Charlie Brooker's theme music for Screen Wipe, I guess that's, sort of where it had its its second second life and i think that's probably why it's at the top of the listening listening figures chart for the, for them but yeah i don't know are we going on to yeah going yeah on to that's, talk about that's it into am am 180 which is your first pick so yeah i also didn't know that it because i haven't seen it it's also in 28 days later uh in 2002 which is yeah five years after that so so there we go but yeah so Adam, I mean, I guess you've said it already. You, you picked this because it was the first song that you you discovered by them, and but I mean, yeah, it's it's a very interesting song, right? As well. Yeah, it's such a it's such an interesting song. I think it's like a really unhinged pop song. It's sort of like got you know all the elements of Granddaddy that are good, but but really condensed into a into you know in another in a parallel universe. This is what this is what pop music sounds like. I think it's kind of got that like strange 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 kind of weird synthy toy town piano kind of combined with that sort of slacker kind of almost grungy sort of heads down guitars scuzzy guitars and it's just I think it's really I think it's really heartfelt it's really euphoric in a strange kind of way and some of the words like it ends with, or there's a bit where it goes, we'll, we'll defuse bombs, walk marathons, take on whatever together. And the drums go and it comes back in. And it's just, ah, what a beautiful, beautiful bit of like, yeah, unhinged pop. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, big fan. And do you agree, unhinged pop? Uh, yeah, but I'm now thinking about it, maybe because of the second album being more popular, people, I heard it by people buying the first album after hearing the second album. Yeah, which will explain why. Yeah, it's was, it was probably at the start of the of the decade on that when I knew it. But um, yeah, like, like Adam said, you know, um, I agree. With, I think he said, you know, that riff I've known for twenty odd years. It's um, it's kind of the era of is it tree indie tree core a, bit, a little bit, little bit sort of um, sort of sound. Um, I never knew what it's about, and reading a lot of his lyrics, I, I never really know what he's talking about. Jason, Jason's kind of a have you, have you seen him being interviewed? No. He he really doesn't look comfortable to be a front man at all. And he's like hiding, no. he's hiding under a cap the entire time. And do his big truck as hat. Yeah, and yeah. he's asking he he's asking, is that right? So they look because I watched an interview and he's going, Shall I look at the camera now? Do you want me to look at you? And he's like, Yeah, and that's like 2006. It's like you've been you've been doing this like 15 years, Jason. Surely he simply used to be interviewed by now. <laughs> and he, his one thing he said was quite interesting. He said that um he never really wanted to be in a band with other other human beings. He was from a comfortable being by himself. But when he met Aaron, the drummer, he thought, okay, I'll give it a try. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how much of it is the Jason show? Because it seems he's just so prominent. And it's, especially in some of the songs, they're quite sparse in the instrumentation mm-hmm. that they have. So is is he is he the main songwriter and, and the whole shebang and other people come in and out? Or is it a bit more collaborative? Yeah, I think I think it is. I think it is driven by by him definitely, and like the solo stuff that he's released since Granddaddy or alongside the end bits of Granddaddy have have been 
good and have been kind of pretty similar and it's obvious where the ideas have come from in some ways and like recently they they or he re-released um software slump but just him playing piano mm. so it really is paired paired back down to, to to just him lots of it still works like in interestingly even though that whole album is a you know come to that maybe in a bit but like that whole album is a, is you know the deep concept of it is people people and machines and that millennial millennial angst yeah. around technology and that you know that everyone kind of jumped on for okay computer but is totally this album you know software slump has it has it right through the middle as well so yeah it's his it is his it's his show i think yeah have you ever heard any of the pre-debut album stuff because i know they had a lot of uh tapes and singles and things hanging around in the 90s have you heard anything else not that i can recall i might have done i might have done a, a while ago but no i definitely don't own any of it although they sound they sound like it would be cool and fun <laughs> <Some tapes. laughs> it, it probably is on youtube now no, yeah, because I, I knew that they, they like formed in 92 and the album came out know, maybe six years after they formed. They spent a while just, you know, doing gigs and, and recording stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't know now if like people were, yeah, have found these and put, put it on YouTube or if they're completely hidden away still. But yeah, so I didn't know AM180 at all. I, despite n- knowing Screenwipe, I, did, I just didn't watch Screenwipe enough clearly to make the association. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought it has this really woozy start. And then I think it's quite difficult to make something so woozy work so well with such a heavy and then distorted guitar later on. Um, and I really enjoyed the refreshing difference to James Hetfield in his voice. He's very quiet. In this one, I'd say actually almost too quiet. I think bump it up a little bit. Uh, late in, in some other songs, it sounds a, a bit... Uh, a bit comes across a bit more clearly and yeah on what is it about I wrote kooky feminist love song question mark but the the name refers to a gun as well so yeah who knows what's going on um it reminded me a little bit I think I've talked about these guys before the research do either of you know them so they're a band no. where it's literally so it's it's one guy with a keyboard and then two women I think one is a drummer one is a bassist it's very sparse and it is also wonky pop a bit a bit like this and I saw them live and it really is kind of their three voices and their three instruments and that's it so I think if you it really made me think like ah maybe the research weren't as original as I thought they were because I I would I would pick them as one of the most underrated bands um I I've known so yeah that that made me think like ah definitely an influence you should do you should do you should do a podcast or something about like <laughs> bands that you, Underrated, yeah, right? you don't you think uh, not yeah got enough attention yeah i mean fran and i are constantly like how 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 can we how can we talk about this band that we really want to talk about like what what's the big band that we have to put in uh, and that's why we had abba versus kent for example you know you season. you mentioned uh cheap trick on the last podcast mm. and uh jason's first ever concert was cheap trick and they inspired him to want to be in a band. So maybe, you know, it's mm. a hint that we should maybe do a cheap trick episode. Oh, I'd be up for a cheap trick episode. <laughs> um, I will also say that uh, I'll bring in my Belgian card here. So there's a Belgian band called Girls in Hawaii, which I think, yeah, absolutely you would like if you like Granddaddy. And they say that Granddaddy's 2003 set at Pickle Pop was paramount to their development as a band. So yeah, mm-hmm. big, big influence. I think I have heard of them. Yeah, would, would recommend there. But yeah, I... When you said twee and twee core, I thought that's a, precisely what I was worried about because that's not my kind of thing. But for this song and many others, it it works. I'm not annoyed by it. It doesn't seem overly sincere. 
Mm. Yet. I know what you mean. Like I know I, I, I my ears pricked up to that as well. Like is it? I was thinking it is. I mean, yeah, it is, it is Twee in some ways, mm. but it somehow it doesn't have all the it, do, it is it it doesn't seem to fall into the same traps that a lot of that kind of music falls into. I think I think again just because it's so it is so lo-fi and it is so unassuming and that sort of that charm just carries it through. I felt wrong-footed every single song of this of this playlist. I have to say. Mm-hmm. So what's your... that's good, isn't yeah. it? That's such a cla- that's, that's you, a Adam. cool thing to do. That's a clever <laughs> thing to do, isn't it? No, not me. They are the, the artists. Like, no, no, the no, art- no, but that, I mean, that's, that's great. Like confound, confounding you. That's good. No, that's it. Because when I was like, oh, they're not Heartland Rock, thank God. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, they're a little bit. It's a guy in a trucker hat with a keyboard. Where this could go, this could go either way. But uh, but yeah, what's what's your second pick from from the playlist? Okay, so I'm not even sure if I pronounced this right. Non phenomenal lineage or lineage i think it's probably lineage isn't it yeah i mean again i just think this 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 album's great that under the under the great western freeway and it is before it's before software slump software slump was the one that got much more attention deservedly like it's amazing i think but i don't know they're just they're such i think they're just such unusual oddball unique kind of compositions and um it's kind of like a like a dreamy lullaby but really scuzzy and not cheesy at all and then there's a kind of lolloping beat that comes in and the floor just kind of opens up to swallow you when it comes in it's a bit it's also a bit like the succession um theme song mm-hmm. if you've been watching succession where suddenly there's like like lolloping bit and the elephant comes on screen and the opening credits um it's just a good a good moment yeah good i feel like it's a good goosebumps kind of song but again so low-key so under the radar it's almost like they're doing and making music that you it's almost it's almost kind of designed to to not get your attention but then if you when you do listen you're like ah right yeah it's amazing so so no this is this is this is why i went here for the for the underrated because it feels like they're just like they're on a mission to sort of undersell themselves all the time and then then when you hear it you're like oh yeah great i think uh i remember granddaddy fans being really really into granddaddy i think they were a band that people could afford to love with maybe if you're kind of like an outsider they felt close to you um so like maybe like they are kind of the underdogs um yeah i had never heard it before um i like the lyrics it reminds me of my gcc results oh hello good morning sir the results are back and that's time to pack your things and go it was a pretty much <laughs> what my parents said to me um yeah the intro's odd and then suddenly it kind of goes into like a flaming lips vibe it's got these heavy drums and then it ends with these really pretty guitars so yeah, it's constantly yeah. moving around, and like, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it, Babs. So on first listen, I was like, ooh, I don't I don't know about this. It's only his voice and an acoustic guitar, but again, the, there's these keyboards in the background. You think it's just his voice and a guitar, but they're these kind of menacing keyboards hinting at something to come. And then when it changes and when it goes into that instrumental section with the drums and the bass, I, it's quite magical. So I was like, hang, hang on, hang on. I, I need to listen to it. And I think I had to listen to it two more times. And by the end, I did like it. But yeah, initially I was like, mm, doesn't seem like my kind of thing, but I'm glad I pushed through. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, your next pick, uh, Adam? Yeah, magical. Magical is a good is a good good word. I think mm. that's a consistent one. It does feel like they've got that quality. If suddenly something changes and then they're into the next bit, and you think, oh, hang on, what, how did they get here? Yeah, um, so the next so the next track is ch- charts and graphs. I think again, I've seen the title. <laughs> you think, yeah, um, yeah, it's difficult to know. <laughs> so um, 
so this is from software slump and software slump was the you know easily their biggest album and it was it was roughly at the same time as okay computer i think you know, so there were there about and it was def- definitely dealt with like similar kinds of themes like very different album in in lots of ways but but i think it also captured that millennial like weird technological angst that was only there and then kind of disappeared again it was only there briefly and it and then it passed and i and i and i think i think they did manage to bottle it uh, up into something artistically amazing as well and i think this out this album is not un- underrated i think this album is rated like people people do know that it's an amazing album um, so I tried to go for a track that maybe was less, you know, a bit, a bit more into the radar on, on this album. Um, and I think it was more polished in lots of ways, I suppose, like the, the, this album. But I think this one, this track is still really lo-fi and ragged and it's kind of, the you know, the robot falling to pieces versus punk toy piano getting trodden on good, good stuff. But just, just yeah, just still managing to like create like some kind of, driving driving song melody out of it it's strange it's strange stuff isn't it that's that's somehow still like really 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 possible to enjoy without it being without it being abrasively sort of you know experimental yeah yeah i, I enjoyed this distorted crazy um uh, he said in an interview that um when the millennium was going to come along he thought what's the sound of the apocalypse and then he thought yeah it probably it will probably be a sigh so this album is his sigh. It's like it, w- it won't be spectacular. It'd be like, oh, that's not over. with a w- bang. Yeah. Whimper, not with a bang. Yeah, exactly. So this yeah. is his, this is his soundtrack to the whimper. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and uh, I think it's another decent decent track. Again, I don't know what he is on about in the lyrics. Do you? Well, yeah. So I, not knowing about millennial angst and, and machines, mm. I because he says I traded laughs for charts and graphs. I was like, oh, is it someone who's just like very nerdy and has dedicated his life to science or technology or whatever and is now regretting it that's that's how i i saw it like too much time spent in front of an excel spreadsheet not enough time living so it was, well, i guess would would fit in here yeah this was another one where i was like ooh, the beginning i'm not sure but then i got into it i thought it sounded very pixies uh more than any other track but it's pixies mm. with a bit more of a melodic edge and i wrote that i prefer the keyboard solo here to any metallica guitar solo much much more up my street so yeah once again i yeah (laughs) wrong-footed adam um in that period a lot of people were comparing them to the flaming lips because they both came out well not came out they Mm -hmm. both were out at the same i think what soft bulletin was kind of sort of the same era and they were kind of you know a bit like you know cutie keyboards and some distorted vocals and similar vocal style so were you a flaming lips fan as well as their granddaddy or yeah definitely definitely at that, that time like for sure and loved loved the soft bulletin and thought it had it had i think it does have a lot of the same characteristics i think they obviously did go then in a direction that granddaddy could not possibly have gone in um and you know like especially you live see jason little <laughs> yeah you will not see jason little kind of like pissing about in a massive bubble <laughs> Um, with lights of like <laughs> bowers around his neck or something, it's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's your, your next track, Adam? Okay, so now it's on. Um, this is like this is the album after Software Sump, I think. And uh, I don't know, like, a, yeah, it got some attention, but maybe not as much as it pos- like possibly could have done. And I think in by this point, like, you kind of know what 
you're getting like it's got the same elements as the as the as, as, as the tracks that were good that came before it but I think it's just yeah a really a really good a really good illustration of of what they do really well it's somehow still a little bit unassuming chugging away explodes into something quite glorious for the chorus and then just settles down again yeah it's a nice it's a nice it's a happy it's a happy it's, it's happy as well I think like it's a good it's a good happy song I loved this track when I was a a 22 year old I think this is the bigger single I think it got, got to number 23 in the charts um right it was on mtv a lot um i said that i think it's power pop it's like teenage fan club meets donald jr i love the sort of sound it has before the chorus and i love the guitar sound so i was i completely forgot about this i was like oh wow yeah it's it's, mm. <laughs> it's that song so yeah i'm happy i rediscovered it thank you uh to uh completely disagree. oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh wow amazing yeah no so i enjoyed the jarring beginning and what I called the Pet Shop Boy synths because there's some synths that really like it's a sin or, or something like that I thought this was precisely the kind of twee indie stuff that I don't like I think this is the most accessible song so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that it was it was the biggest hit but I was like yeah this is what I thought all five tracks on this playlist might be like and I'm glad they're not I'm very sorry but I I much prefer the the wind it's it's too happy for me adam i'm afraid i'm i'm a bit of a miserable git sometimes on this podcast uh musically and and yeah it it, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me this one. Oh no you're like you're like the final pick then <laughs> well wait and see maybe, wait and maybe. see but it certainly gets more miserable <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um 23 that's impressive i think for for that period of time in the charts well i guess what 2003 um indie music was on the rise so i guess it, it would get it would get airplay i can't see it getting airplay at the moment um so mm. yeah i'm always surprised because they say they quit because of money like they said it wasn't financial feasible to be in a band in 2005 so you know that was like the peak of indie so you know like they sold eighty thousand records for the second album this isn't ter- terrible but maybe touring around the world there were seeing much return and that's why they quit at the time what's interesting so i i looked up whether again you know it's spotify but on spotify the city with the biggest listeners is london oh, and really? the next four are american cities so i'm like is it that they were actually bigger outside the us and but not enough in a way that they could capitalize on it well v2 i think is also uk label so mm-hmm. it makes sense maybe they weren't at all big in america but yeah as as adam says we're fi- we're finishing on a contemplative it is a bit of a exactly like it's a bit of a bringing it all back down but I mean just I just think it's just a really beautiful song um it's I guess in the context of the album and the themes that the album deals with it's sort of like an ode to the healing regenerative power of nature it, it's away from all the machines and the decay away from the noise away can be happy again it's kind of like it's i mean it's a straightforward it's him and the piano there's none of the contrasting sort of juxtaposition of yeah odd dynamics and aesthetics that's in some of the rest of the songs and and, and all that that kind of brings in terms of painting a picture that is not what you expect like we talked about with all the other the other songs going in a bit of a direction that you don't anticipate is doesn't change really at all it has a little twinkling in the background and it and it has him a very plaintive 
ballads but it's it's just really powerful i think and yeah i i would i would it, it it sounds like exactly like feeling the way that he does under under a weeping willow it, it it's musically paints that picture and um i respect it for that they toured a lot with Elliot smith i think around this time i wonder if that was an influence mm. very understated i love the beautiful sort of like rain piano sound in the background and i think like you said i love the twinkly sadness to it all um yeah it's, it's i wasn't expecting this sort of, sort of track from granddaddy i did think they were a bit more of a kooky i think kooky but um <laughs> you know yeah so i'm surprised it had this much sort of depth to it really so um yeah yeah we enjoyed it Babs. I, I will uh, I will frame this and read you out my notes exactly. So when I saw that it was called Underneath the Whipping Willow, and having just listened to, you know, a song I didn't like, I thought, oh, God, is this like elderly woman behind the counter in a small town like the Pearl Jam song where I, I, I see what's going to happen here? You know, it's all going to be plaintive. And then my notes were, I like the urgent trinning, was not really on board with the quiet piano, but damn it, he won me over by the end. So fucking sincere, but I believed it. <laughs> but I absolutely believed it I I was just like again I think it, it goes back to non-phenomenal lineage where it is you think it's just his voice and an acoustic guitar but there's something in the background here that yeah you called it the rain the rainwater piano yeah the the trilling in the background it really is jarring and just the lyrics hit you it's so simple it's so sincere but I believed it and I I enjoyed it and this is really not not my kind of music, not my kind of thing at all. But that's that's how good Jason is. I mean, yeah, respect. <laughs> Have you heard anything from the last album, like the comeback album at all, Adam? Adam like twenty seventeen, and it- well, yeah, only only kind of as as part of trying to make sure that I was I was um, not missing anything for this. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I definitely feel like I'm not I'm not saying every single track and every single album deserves to be uplifted or you know has been overlooked like I actually think this is it can be quite hit and miss in places but I stand by the um by their ability to confound and to and to change change what they're doing and to and to, and to that that just that unassumingness that I think flows through all of it and then and then almost because of that because of that shirking the limelight and not wanting that attention and not wanting to be there you know people are drawn to it some people are drawn to it and then when he comes with a a straight down the line plaintive song like that you're kind of like oh okay what from you of all people you're just going to give me a straight Mm. a straight kind of piano um take on this it's sort of somehow all the more all the more resonant yeah um you know you mentioned about being on the wrong festival lineup he said that near the end they were put on a German metal festival and they got that and they thought, oh right. So he basically downed a bottle of wine and they did a six-minute jam which ended to nothing. And he said that he kept downing um, vodka and wine throughout the set and ended with him collapsing onto his keyboard rack and falling and falling to silence. And then they, <laughs> they quickly wow. walked away slowly. And that's when he knew it was the end of the band. Oh wow. Ah, oh, granddaddy. <laughs> yeah, just 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 like that there it was oh <laughs> uh, yeah so um our granddaddy underrated they are absolutely underrated given that um i'd heard of them but never knowingly heard a song and i am a self-proclaimed music fan i can't i can't believe it and i think any band that gets me to like sincere 
twee things are absolute geniuses and everyone should go and listen to them so yeah thank you adam for bringing granddaddy on today yeah it, it left, left me wanting to listen to to more to be fair i don't know why i didn't buy the albums back in the day because they're kind of my sort of music um is the second album the best album adam what is the best album um, I've lost track a bit of what audio I think happens in, but like under the Great Western Freeway mm. is the early the the yeah the the the, the ninety seven one. Um, that's amazing, and then and then software software slump after that. I guess yeah, are, are the two good ones, the ones I picked from, I suppose mostly. Yeah, because the Crystal Lake is always on my mixtapes yeah. back in the day. Um, so I'll probably give that another listen. So yeah, I would definitely say yeah, underrated. And thank you for reminding me of Granddaddy. <laughs> feel like that's fully achieved the the brief of uh of like an unearthing something and, and going hey look look at this one so i'm feeling happy about that <laughs> yeah no it, it's nice it's nice when a guest brings on a band that they like and, and we don't hate it that's for sure yeah very often more more often than not we're we're debating with uh with someone who likes a bigger band um and and that can be a bit trickier but uh but no thank you so much adam for for your picks today and do you have anything to plug? I mean, I don't think you have a podcast, but uh, I don't know, your work, your website, what, anything you want to talk about that you're doing at the moment that you think should get more more visibility? I mean, you know, I can, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got a website. It's called Adam, AdamCorner.uk. That's the, that's the address for it. You can see stuff I do on there, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to end with an advert. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, 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 let's bask in the glow of the, of the unassuming I mean, Jason Little and his, and his friends. You can plug Granddaddy's yeah. discography, if you like, uh, as an alternate, you know, go and buy Granddaddy's albums. Oh, but any, any other songs you'd like to mention? The whole of that under the Great Western Freeway album is 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 fantastic and it's so it's so weird and and lacking in its own confidence but brilliant that um everyone should go and give it go and give it some belated support and then Jason Little can afford to buy a new broken piano <laughs> on broken on purpose for the sound. Um so Jason Little does have a bandcamp page and it has albums including The Software Slump on a wooden piano. <laughs> yeah so exactly. so go it's the latest one go and support him and i, I see a, a christmas song from uh, 2009 so i'll you be going to listen to that yeah yeah there's a few there's a few there's a few christmas songs it's into that like that like you know that album the low low christmas songs album like it's sort of on that tip Nice. strange strange christmas songs for strange people in strange times and it seems that Relatable. the one for this year is called it was a silent night at least until jeff lynn arrived so there we go oh yeah he's a massive elo fan <laughs> as well uh, <laughs> randomly well, he, he said that he wanted granddad to sound like elo but he failed interesting i mean that's quite a good description failed ELO, really, the sound so. of ELO failing i mean yeah released on yeah december 3rd 2021 so yeah you can let's let's all plug granddaddy's discography then at the end thank you for listening and thank you for coming on today adam thank you hey, thank you i mean this won't come out Mate. until january so i would so happy, happy new year granddaddy and all, this, and all, our, happy new and all year. our fans yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's a great 2022 for all <laughs> oh please um yeah thanks again for being a great guest and thank you for letting me listen to some more granddaddy goodbye everybody bye cheers amazing thank you bye thanks for hanging around until the end if you want to get in touch to agree or disagree with us or maybe suggest some other bands or themes for us to talk about, we are at OU Music Pod on Twitter, at Over Underrated Music Pod on Instagram, and you can email us over underrated music pod at gmail.com. 
May your homes be COVID-free. May your lives be as fulfilling as possible in a global pandemic. And see you next week. Bye.